All right, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, God's word reads this. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this is the word of the Lord. So as we begin chapter 2, we see Paul continue on in his encouragement towards the Philippians. Over the past couple weeks, we've seen Paul set the stage by speaking on the blessing that the Philippian church has been on him. They've been financially helping him and offering him many uh, ways of ministering to him. And he expresses in chapter 1 his great joy that they've been on his life uh, in the midst of very difficult circumstances as well as he is in prison and he's having a difficult time um, with that. And then there's some people that don't like him that are preaching uh, to try to get back at him. And so he continues just to say, Philippians, thank you for your support. And in our passage this morning, we're kind of presented with uh, two different uh, things and two different instances Paul wants the Philippians and ourselves this morning to grasp. Number one, the charge that if we are truly Christians, we have to have humility. If you call yourself a Christian, you need to have, to some degree, the fruit of humility in your life. And then in, and, uh, that's in the first couple verses of our reading. And then in the second half of our reading, we see the second charge. How do we do this? We look to the example of Christ. So uh, I'm a visual learner. I like to, to look like on the whiteboard or a video for someone to, to kind of help explain to me how I do things. Paul is saying, hey, if, if you need a visual example, look to Jesus and model your life after Jesus to possess this humility. And let's just be real. Let's just, you know, let's all be real for a moment. We're all friends here. Uh, Humility's hard. Like, it's hard to be humble at times, okay? Speaking from experience, like, it is hard to have the gift of humility. And I'm thankful for those who model it well. Uh, that is something I struggle with, uh, if I can be very honest up here. Humility is hard, and it's, it's something many of us struggle with. And in the Christian life, it's the butt of many jokes. Uh, I often say, hey, never pray for patience or humility, because you're going to get same-day delivery on that prayer. That's the day the Lord is, goes, this is the one. You know, 10 seconds afterwards, you are going to be humbled or you're going to have a long line at the drive through or at Walmart or whatever, and you're going to have patience. Uh, so again, I mean, humility is hard and it's something we want in the lives of everybody. 
uh, but we don't want necessarily want it ourselves. We're like, hey, I wish you could just be humble and get knocked down a couple pegs. And then at the same time, we're kind of like, but nobody mess with me. You know, we want it in other people's lives, but not necessarily in ours. And yet we see today, this morning, and Paul uh, commissioning us that, hey, if we're Christians, we have to have the trait of humility in our lives. Now, that is not to say that that should be the first thing we notice uh, and that kind of uh, wipes away every other person personality trait in you, but when a Christian or a non-Christian looks on your life, can they see and discern a level of humility from you? So our main idea this morning is this. The Christian life is one that should be marked by humility. When I look at your life or when you look at someone else's life or when they look at our lives, can they see the mark of humility or the beginnings of humility? Look with me again in our opening reading. I'm going to skip verse 2, but just look at 1, 3, and 4. Paul says again, so if you're a Christian, you know, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Again, I like that Paul is saying that, hey, if you are loosely affiliated with the Christian faith, if you have any sort of participation in the Holy Spirit, then you need to have a semblance of humility. We need to understand as well that God mandates humility for his people. It's not a recommendation or, hey, when you get the chance, could you do this? No, we see in the prophet Micah, uh, chapter 6, verse 8, The Lord saying this through his prophet, he has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? Require, key word there, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. So Micah doesn't seem to be giving us any wiggle room either on the calling of humanity. Again, essentially, you're a follower of God. Show me your humility. And so we can safely say that if God commands his people to have humility, then we're going to be faced with one of two options. You can either be humble or you can get humbled. There are countless examples in the Bible of individuals possessing humility. I mean, we could speak forever on John the Baptist, on Hannah, the Apostle Paul in our reading, uh, Abraham, and so many others. And uh, I wanted to use Moses as an example because we see in Numbers 12.3, God's word says that Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And I was like, that's pretty good. And then I was like, wait a minute, who wrote Numbers? Oh, Moses wrote Numbers. So I was like, I don't know if you can kind of like, I don't know if you can do that or not, or maybe in just such humility, he's like, yeah, I pride myself in my humility, so here we go. So I was like, ah, I'm going to stay away from that. Uh, So I want us to actually look at a good example in the life of King David about having humility. And we'll return to Philippians in our second half of this message, just bear with me. Um, But when we look at the example of humility, I think King David models it amazingly. There's one particular instance in 2 Samuel 7, We see God bless David and establish his covenant with him, the Davidic covenant. It's a very famous passage in the Bible. I would highly recommend you read over it. Uh, Not necessarily commit the verses to memory. If if that's your thing, go for it. But commit those truths and the importance of that covenant to your heart and to memory. We see in uh, this passage God's lavishing out praises on David and his blessing 
David as he's sitting on Israel's throne. And in 2 Samuel 7, listen to David's response to God. Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come, and this instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And now, O Lord God, David, call him something else, please. You are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. These words display a humble heart before the Lord. This is a humble heart of a God-fearing individual. Notice in this passage, David never once says, yeah, it's about time, Lord. Do you know what I've had to go through to get here? Finally, we're on the same page. We're recognizing. I'm glad you're seeing how great I am. I deserve this. There's nothing of the sorts in those praises. Uh, He never deems himself worthy, never says he's expecting this, and key, never asks for more. Rather, he's just simply in awe of God's blessings, and David counts himself as unworthy. There's just this constant pouring out of praise on, uh, uh, towards God from David. So if you want to grow in the discipline of humility, begin your prayers to God like this. Like, show me your prayer life, and we can begin to kind of see how your Christian living will be as well. Show me a man and a woman who is humble before the Lord in their prayers, and that's naturally going to pour out into your physical and worldly relationships. So begin humbly praying to the Lord. And I know there are times when we can be frustrated with God. And the last time I was up here too, I preached on what if God is silent towards us for long periods of time. I know it can be difficult, but posture yourself in humility before the Lord and praise him. And that will also naturally then grow you in humility outwardly as well. And so that's a good example of being humble. But our other, earlier, our earlier point is this, you can either... Be humble or get humbled. And I promise you, before I read the next passage, take this option. Take the be humble option. Like, please, as, as one of your pastors, please take the be humble option. Because you can get humbled. Because <laughs> God is not content with you thinking that you are higher than your actual station. God is not going to sit idly by while you walk on top of, talk down to, or belittle your fellow brothers and sisters, his sons and daughters. And God loves you enough to humble you. Like he wants you to flourish in the biblical humility he can offer you. And so you can either come willingly or you can come kicking and screaming, but I promise you one way or the other, you're going to arrive at humility. Uh, in my own life, before, before we get into our next reading here, in my own life, we would take a 14-hour car drive to, to Georgia to visit my grandparents uh, twice a year, in the summer and in the winter for Christmas. And we were in Ohio. We'd go down south of Atlanta to Macon or Griffin, Georgia. It was a long drive. And when I was in elementary school, it was boring. It was such a boring drive. I would sleep, I'd play on my Game Boy, and I would utter the phrase every parent hates to hear, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And I would always complain and whine. And at one point, I'll never forget, my dad pulls over on I-75, and I went, oh, no. And it was like, like I was in the Holy of Holies. I wish someone put bells on me because I was about to die, it felt like. And my dad turns around and he goes, 
Nathan Stevens, we're going to get there one way or the other. And it's up to you if you want to have a fun car ride or a frustrating car ride. So it's up to you to set the tone for your own experience here. Love you. And then drove back and I was like, Mom, you want to come to my defense here? No, okay, cool. Uh, So one way or the other, we're getting to Georgia. Uh, So one way or the other, church, God's going to get you the gift of humility. How do you want to go about it, okay? So we can see a good example of this in the example of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, obviously, Sunday school answer, Jesus should always be our favorite person in the Bible. Uh, So after Jesus, King Nebuchadnezzar is my favorite character or person we see in the scriptures. I think he's an excellent case study on pride, humility, false conversion, and then true conversion. I believe Nebuchadnezzar, as we'll see in this passage, becomes a follower of God. That's not unanimously held by any means, but I just love uh, these words here. So listen to this passage in Daniel chapter 4 from King Nebuchadnezzar. This is the last recorded instance we hear of him. So Nebuchadnezzar kind of goes outside and he says this, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. And then this happens for a long time, and then Nebuchadnezzar kind of reawakens. And he says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures, excuse me, from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? And then lastly, he concludes with this. At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty, and my splendor returned to me as well. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom with still more greatness added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all of his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Longer passage, I know, but I'm gonna be real. North Bullet, I don't know about you, but eating grass and being wet with the dew from the ground is not the way I plan to spend my fall. Okay, if I drove up to church on Sunday and Keith is out there on all fours eating grass and his hair's long, I'm like, okay, homeboy is fighting a very different battle than I am right now. And I'm going to be honest. I love Keith. I'm doing one of these. I'm like, has anybody seen our pastor lately? (laughs) And so I don't know about you. They're fighting a different battle. I'm going to walk along. You know, there's something going on there. Uh, Love Keith to death. Anyways, Nebuchadnezzar became a professing follower of God, I believe, after this humbling experience. And this just wasn't a couple days. I mean, read the passage again. His nails grow long and his hair grows long. Like he's out there for weeks, I would say, on end. So I'm going to ask you again. Do you want to be humble? Do you want to get humbled? The Lord is going to bring you one way or the other into the spirit of humility. The choice is laid before you. My desire is to see the people of God and our church at large live into biblical humility, live into the flourishing and the joy and the happiness that humility brings us. 
And so as we examine our lives, I want us to look inwardly and ask this question. Do you have real humility? And I I clarify with real because let's be honest, there's a lot of fake or false humilities out there. Okay, You can definitely pretend to be humble, and you can pretend to have, as Paul says back in uh, Philippians chapter 2, you can fake comfort from love and sympathy. Like You can pretend to have those things. But if you're faking it, and I'm speaking to myself here too in those times that I fake it, I promise you, you're not as sly as you think you are in faking it. Pride will always show itself. It's so interesting, the sin of pride. So if you wrestle with that sin, okay, I'm, I'm not trying to like, uh, belittle you or anything or come down too hard, but if you wrestle with the sin and you're trying to fake humility for people, it, it shows itself one way or the other. You can bury it deep down. But know this, people with genuine humility, like who possess the gift of humility, can see right through that. And that was an awakening I had to experience in college when I would put on this false humility and took one of my dear friends to be like, dude, you have such a huge head. Like you have got to be coming to, why are you laughing at that? Come on now. No. Uh, And so... (laughs) All right, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's, it was true. It's very true. And he had to knock me down a couple pegs because he had the gift of humility, and I needed that. He saw right through those lies. So, friends, if we struggle with that sin, if we struggle with it and put on that facade, people see right through that. I want to caution you. And, and here's, here's the kicker before we move on. Even if they don't see through that lie, why are we trying to fool each other? Like, I'm in the same process as you are. Like, we're in the same walk of life. Why are you trying to fool me? So, like, congrats, you got some pasty kid from Ohio to believe you're humble. Like, awesome. Like, do you know who you're not fooling? God. He sees right through that. I'm in the same process. And so that humbles me of like, okay, I'm going to try my best to walk in humility because ultimately I know that God sees everything. And so I'm going to ask again, do you have real humility? And before we get to our our, uh, reading again, I want to put this in here just really quickly. Uh, Those who know me or attend my classes on Wednesdays know I like to get real practical with Christian living uh, and things of that nature. So I wanted to put this in really quick because I see this happen a lot in the Christian church today at large. Real humility, and then there's what I call sinful humility, which sounds silly, but bear with me. There's obviously pridefulness, okay, which is a form of false humility. Like you can pretend to be prideful or you can pretend to be humble and have pride. There's also something I'm going to call sinful humility here. We need to work through this. So we're going to look at sinful humility. Then we're going to look at biblical humility. I don't know if you can read this. I put all the three points on one slide here. Sinful humility looks like these three things. Number one, thinking too little of yourself, more or less thinking you are worthless, like walking around like, hey man, like I really enjoy hanging out with you. You're a cool person. No, no, I'm the worst. Like I am the worst of the worst, depraved, wretched, oh man that I am. Like I'm a sinner. I can't do anything right. And you think you are worthless. Well, that's not humility. That is sinfulness. Because God has raised you, Christian. He has elevated you. He's bought you with a price. So to deem yourself worthy when you are in Christ is going opposite of what God has done in your life. Number two, taking pride or be or afraid, sorry, to take pride or be proud of anything. Now bear with me, this sounds, this sounds contradictory again. More or less, are you scared of the word pride? 
Like if somebody says like, hey man, are you proud of who you are? Or like, not in like a mean way, but like, hey, are you proud of your life? Are you proud of what you've done? Like, are you proud of your family? Or are you proud of where you find yourself in your career? Do you resist the word pride so much? Like, do you have an unhealthy attachment to the word pride? There are elements where we should be proud of ourselves. Like men and women, you have suffered through difficult times and trials. Some of you have worked your butts off for years to be where you are now. Take pride in that. Parents, are you proud of your children? Grandparents, are you proud of your children and grandchildren? Like, I'm proud of the man that I have become today. And it's not in a sinful sense. And another way we look at this, are we afraid to take pride in anything? Like, I'm going to be real. Okay, at 23 years old, because of God's glory and grace in my life, I achieved my dream job at 23, working full-time at a church. Okay, I take pride in that because there are other people that, because I thought for a long time I was going to have to like, okay, there's like five or six years of schooling. Then I got to go do this. Then I got to go interview around. Well, no, the Lord blessed me with this church uh, and gave me what I was asking for and praying for. And I take pride that the Lord and me have worked together in this man, and the Lord has blessed me in this. Friends, do you take pride in your jobs? Do you take pride in the work that you have done? Sinful humility will say, well, no, don't, don't say pride. The Lord resists the proud. Don't say that I'm proud or I should be proud of anything. Well, no, friends, that's not humility. And also, like, number three, lashing out against any form of praise just take the compliment, man. Like I'm trying to say good job. Now I struggle with this personally because I am my own worst critic. Many of you have complimented me on sermons or classes that I've done. And I'm like, really? Because this was a dumpster fire. Like, what are you talking about? Okay. I struggle with that part. So are you capable of taking compliments or do you lash out against those who praise you? Like, Hey man, good job. Oh no, that was the worst. That was the worst thing I've ever did. But no, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like just take the compliment, you know? So, and here's the thing, we might fool ourselves thinking that we're humble because we resist compliments, we resist praise, we resist any sort of elevation. But friends, that is a sinful form of humility, okay? Contrast this now with biblical humility, which looks like these things. So number one, putting others over yourself. Obviously, if you want to be humble, you've got to knock yourself down a little bit and put other people's needs above yourself. Now, there are obviously times where we've got to look out for our own interests to make sure we're doing okay. But by and large, is your life marked with putting others first? Number two, recognize your strengths and your weaknesses. So pride will just focus on strengths. Sinful humility will just focus on weaknesses. Biblical humility is recognizing your strengths, but also acknowledging you have weaknesses, okay? I like to think that I'm good at talking with people and interacting with people and like hanging out one-on-one and doing live. I'm like, I like to think I'm good at that. I also recognize that I'm the worst when it comes to office tasks and administration. Like if I've got to send an email, if I've got to make some social media posting, I've got to set reminders like crazy or it's not going to get done, okay? I struggle with that. I also struggle with anger. Like one of my great weaknesses is I have the red-headed temper, okay? Maybe you've experienced that in my life. I know my roommate has seen that firsthand of Nate's temper. He goes, whoa, get thee behind me, Satan. And so that is me sometimes. I struggle with that, okay? But I also recognize there are strengths in my lives. Men and women in this room, God has blessed you with giftings and strengths in your life. 
Take pride in those gifts, but don't allow yourself to be so inflated that you recognize no weaknesses. And then lastly, biblical humility is being able to accept praise without being prideful or arrogant. So can you receive a compliment and not let it go straight to your head? Okay, my mother will keep me humble more than anyone in the world. When I got ordained, everybody was like, oh, Nate, good job. My mom was like, "Mm, get out of the way. You know, don't say that to him. It's going to go right to his head. And I was like, okay, mom, back to Georgia you go. We'll see you in a couple of years. I kept teasing. I was like, mom, you keep talking like that. You're going to have a lonely Thanksgiving. I don't know what. And so kidding. I'm going to go see her in Thanksgiving. I love her. Uh, But are you able to receive praise without it going straight to your head? Can you take a compliment and not be like, oh, don't say that. Please don't compliment me. Crowns in heaven, man. You're ruining, my, you're ruining my glory in heaven. I'm trying to be humble. It's like, take the compliment. Or do you go, yeah, about right. Somebody else finally caught on that I'm pretty great. Like, no. Can you take the compliment but also resist the pride and the arrogance that may come to that? That, friends, is biblical humility. Now, This is the end result that we want, is biblical humility. But the question is, how do we get that then as a believer? Like, that's cool. Biblical humility is great. I want to avoid sinful humility. Like, what do I do with this? Well, then we look now to the example of Jesus. Paul tells us in Philippians 5 through 8, specifically verse 5, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, and then he's going to go on to list the humbleness of Christ. So how do we achieve humility? We imitate Christ. We look to Jesus as our humble example. It's important to know in the Gospels, and as we look here in this passage, Jesus lived a life of constant humility. Every inch of his life was oozing humility. As Paul says, he became an infant. He became an infant to us. He was born up until the moment that he died. There was nothing but humility in him. And so Paul says again, look at Jesus. See how he lived, but see how he could have chosen to live, but he didn't. Let the example of Christ carry you. So looking at Jesus, I mean, number one, a humble infant. We see in Luke chapter two, while Mary and Joseph were there in time, a baby was to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, wrapped him in clothes, placed him in a manger. Okay, Jesus did not have to be born an infant. He could have come down through a different miracle, a fully grown and developed man. There's no need to go through adolescence where you're going to be utterly dependent on somebody else to live, okay? Jesus yet humbly entered the world as a baby, something that is so helpless, so fragile, so dependent on outside forces. This is how God chose to enter humanity, okay? I'm also going to be honest again with you, church. I don't like babies, okay? They stare at me. They look like they're up to something, and I don't trust them. The first baby I have ever held in my life was two years ago of Elizabeth Hammond. Rebecca gave her to me, and I went, uh, and I just held it like that, and I was scared. I was, like, shaking. I was like, I don't know. Please take it. Please take it. Like, okay, I'm just not a big fan of babies. When they hit two years old, man, mostly because I can just relate to a two-year-old. I don't know. Like, we're just, like, we're vibing. Like, we're, we're best friends, okay? Like, Benjamin Hammond, we're going back to the Hammond family. Benjamin Hammond and I, BFFs, man, let me tell you. Okay, babies, I'm just like, is it going to throw up? Is it going to, like, why is it looking at me like that? You know, kind of thing. I don't like babies. 
Okay, my point is this. When I see a baby, I'm like, why did Jesus come as one of these things? They stink, they're staring at me, and at any minute they're a ticking time bomb and there's all over me. And I'm like, here you go, go to the nursery. You know, I don't want this. Okay, when I see that, I am in awe of the humility of Jesus that my Savior would come in the form of an infant. Number two, beyond that, Jesus then became a humble carpenter. We see in Mark chapter 6, the verse uh, is, is Mark uh, 6, 3. They say Jesus is preaching, and they say, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James? They're like, hey, all of, our, all of his family's here. This dude's a carpenter. What's he talking about? North Bullet, have you ever worked a job that was beneath you? Like, have you ever worked a job where you're like, I'm better than this? Like, do you have a master's degree or a bachelor's degree and that you're flipping burgers at McDonald's or making sandwiches at Subway? Okay, have you ever worked a job where you're like, they don't respect me or I'm smarter than these people? And not in a prideful way, but it's like, hey, I'm destined for something else. I have a degree in whatever. Why am I here? This is how Jesus lived for 30 years as a humble carpenter. He could have easily began ministry at a young age. We knew he's capable enough because at 12 years old, he's teaching the temple leaders. So why does he live a couple more years as a carpenter? Dealing with difficult people, frustrating orders, and extremely hard work. Jesus had no need to be a carpenter for so long. But yet he humbled himself and became a working class, blue collar dude, despite being the ruler of the world. And every time I think of that, I'm like, man, I am in awe of the humility of Jesus. And beyond that, when he finally begins his ministry, Jesus becomes a humble servant. We see again in Mark chapter 10, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So when he finally starts preaching, Like, this is the time. All eyes on me. All eyes on him. Like, this can happen now. Rather, he doesn't do anything to draw a lot of attention. He walks meekly and humbly through the streets, serving the very people who three years later are going to yell, crucify him, and nail him to the cross. And he's serving these people. Why is the Savior King washing people's feet, healing lepers, letting himself being tossed out of the cities? Why is he not dining and ministering to the rich rich, or to the elites or to the educated? Why is he going to the sinners and to the poor and to the sick? Jesus had the knowledge, of course, to be the most influential teacher and to attract the biggest crowds and to keep them engaged. Yet in his humility as a servant, he helps people in need and in doing so is running off the numbers. Like people are leaving Jesus in mass. Remember, there's one time where he's preaching and only the 12 disciples are left. He goes, are you guys going to leave too? Because he's expecting people to leave. And yet Peter says, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. He came to serve his people humbly. And when I think of that, I am in awe of the humility of Jesus. And then lastly, he came and died as a humble savior. And what we in, in Christianity call the triumphant entry, we see in John 12, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, your king is coming sitting on a donkey. And he enters into Jerusalem. And yeah, there's a crowd 
But we all know the crowd's true intentions, and we see Jesus weep, but he comes in on a donkey, humbly, not drawing attention to himself. No speech, no spectacle. He kept to himself and what? He weeps. He weeps. And then our Savior continued in his humility, never flaunting his deity to anyone, never flaunting it. He points that I am the Son of God, but never flaunts it. Look again, Second Philippians, or first Philippians chapter two, there we go. Verse six, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In a sense, he didn't, I mean, no pun intended, lord it over anybody. And when they nailed him to that cross, when he could have called legions of angels down to eradicate the wicked and to save himself, he humbly resisted and chose to die naked, bloodied, and in pain. And in his last act of humility, in his dying moments, Jesus humbly snatches a man from the fires of hell. As we see in Luke 23, the thief on the cross, remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. With all the pain, the misery, and the agony, the broken bones that he might have had, our Savior humbled himself and chose to save a thief on the cross and then died immediately after. And when I think of the humility of Jesus as a Savior and on that cross, I stand in awe and I want to be a part of whatever he's doing in everyone else's life. And so Christian in the room, Look to this man as our ultimate example of humility who came into the world, lived, and died in humility. Do you want to be more like like Christ? Do you want to live your life like Jesus? Show me your humility. Live life in humility. Strive for humility. And then lastly, here's the best part. Jesus is coming back. There's going to be a time when he returns, and this time there's going to be a ruckus about it. Verses 9 through 11 in Philippians. I almost said second Philippians again. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in the heavens and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The humility of Christ will always be present. But this time, every single man, woman, and child will rightly recognize Jesus as the Son of God, the one highly exalted, and the ones the trumpets are sounding about the return. So here, here's the charge. Will you recognize the exaltation of Jesus as a follower of God? Just as a young child kind of runs to the door to see their dad come home from work. Like, I've missed you so much. I'm so glad you're home. Or will you recognize the exaltation of Jesus? Because everyone's going to confess. But will you recognize, will your confession be as an unbeliever who cowers in the darkness or in Revelation hides themselves in the mountains? Will you be like that child, the disobedient child, who was just told, wait till your father gets home? And then you hear the trumpets, and you're like, uh-oh, dad's home. Like when the garage door opened, and my mom said, you're getting a whooping when your dad comes home, and that garage door opened, I was heading for the hills, okay? I was hiding everywhere. This will be the recognition of the unbelievers to Jesus. This is not a claim that all will profess faith in Christ. This is not a, um, that's, this is not a hope, or this is not a calling 
calling of, hey, don't worry, everyone's going to be a believer. No, you're going to recognize Jesus one way or the other as your savior or as your just judge who will punish you. Both are going to recognize All of us will see the glory of God and praise him for his glory, praise him for his humility. What will your response be, church? Will it be humbly bow your face in worship or will you cower and be separated from him? One way or the other, you're gonna praise and you're gonna recognize Jesus. So friends, look to Jesus. Live in humility, worship him and dedicate your whole existence to Jesus, to his humility. Live like Jesus did. And one day we will be united with him in glory 